Welcome to the Mixed Movement, where we speak candidly about the uncommon commonalities that people of mixed race face in our world today. Here, we listen, share, learn, and acknowledge that through our stories, we are all connected. We are your hosts, me, Chris, and Rachel Go. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I am so excited. I have a very dear friend of mine with me. His name is Bob. He and I have known each other for about the last 18 years. We live in the same small town in Washington State and have been friends for a long time. And throughout the years, Bob and I have gotten to know one another. He is also a photographer. When I started my photography business, he helped me through that as my mentor. And in recent years, I've discovered even more about him and um, what we truly have in common. So I figured now is a wonderful time to talk to Bob a little bit about his life and his story and get to know him alongside you guys. So welcome, Bob. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I just have to say thank you again for being here and being willing to talk with us. So let's start talking about how we know one another. You know, I don't even remember. I knew you were going to go there and I really don't know. (laughs) It was back in photography days, music days, restaurant days, and it was a big blur. So you owned a restaurant in the small town that we live in, and I would frequent there with a few friends. And I don't know, we just started hanging out, and I appreciate your artistry and your love of photography. And I remember you asked me a couple of times if I would help you out with some projects. Yeah. I think really where we connected was, at least for me, at least for me, you said, I need to take some pictures of my kids. Would you do it? And we went out to the park and we did. And I fell in love with your kids. And it was a whole new perspective, a whole new thing. And to me, that was was the pivotal moment. Yes. So that was probably about four years ago. And you actually really surprised me because I've known you for so long at that point, but I'd never seen you around children. And to see you just get down, get in it all (laughs) with them, engage them, and really just have fun with them was a, a different level of connection. And I really appreciate you significantly for, for that. And they adore you. It's just been really fun having you in my life, getting to know you. You are an amazing photographer. You absolutely have this insane passion for music and food and all the all the good shit in life. <laughs> and to see you connect with my children and also support me in photography when I had my business was was amazing. But then it was about a little about a year ago when I had launched my podcast, you started speaking to me about a different aspect of your life. When you told me about your podcast, you hit a hot button for me. 
Let's let's dive into that a little bit more. Okay. What is that hot button? So here's the story story. Okay, oh. the story story is this. A lot of years ago, well before I met my wife, I happened to go out with a black girl and I loved her. And, you know, we were getting pretty serious. And I had friends that I knew were cool. They had worldviews. They embraced all of humanity. I know this because I'd known them for years. And it was, hey, Bob, what are you doing? Do you know what you're getting into? What? Yeah. And this kind of freaked me out. And the same thing was happening with her, some of her friends saying, hey, do you know what you're doing? Do you realize the problems that you're going to have? And, you know, ultimately it didn't work out. The upside is her dad is the guy that taught me how to barbecue. <laughs> and <laughs> we continued to hang out. In fact, my oldest daughter refers to him as Uncle Sherman. Oh, that's awesome. So anyway, this was happening. And I said, man, I got to find out about this. What is going on? Why is this even happening? I, you know, I'm just a dumb white guy. I don't know. So I went to a bookstore and I said, I need some books. What do I read? They said, Alice Walker. So I read all of Alice Walker. And I went back to the bookstore and I said, okay, I read all of Alice Walker. Well, who else should I read? Toni Morrison. I read all of Toni Morrison. And to this day, she is my favorite, favorite author. So what were some of the things that you learned from the books that you and the authors that you devoured? I began to become aware of my whiteness. Hmm. And well, I wasn't. In what realm? What was the biggest aha moment for you? I have privilege that people of the black community and the brown community don't have just by virtue of me being white. Got nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with any skills. It has nothing to do with anything. It just has to do with the color of my skin. That's it. That's it. I had privileges that other people didn't have. And when I found myself associated with a black woman, I found that some people were reluctant to give me those privileges. Really? Now it was brought into question. You know, who are you really? It, it just made no sense. It made no sense. Look, white people are used to being in control. Okay? When you asked me to be on this podcast, I realized something about me that I really didn't like the idea because I'm not in control and I'm used to being in control. I wake up in the morning, I'm in control. I go to the grocery store, I know my way around, I'm in control. I know if I need help, I'm going to get it, right? It's built in my DNA. But today I have to give up some of that control and it's a little odd. And I laughed about it. I told my wife about it and I said, this is just weird. <laughs> is that why you were a little a little nervous today? Well, well yeah. You yeah. Know. I mean, that makes sense. That absolutely makes a lot of sense. It's that it's a, a bit of a fear of the unknown and not really, I mean, it's a bit of a different realm for you. Let's go back a little bit to what you were talking about, because I want to know when this period was when you dated your black girlfriend. The early 80s. The early 80s. Now everybody knows that I am an old guy for sure. It's fine. 
<laughs> I feel like your story is important because you have had such a history of interracial dating when, especially during a period where it was not very common. So this was the early 80s. And where were you living? Seattle. Seattle, Washington. So a little bit more progressive than the tiny town that we live in now, but still not as widely accepted. And so you're, you dated, the relationship ended, you continued a relationship with her father, you did a lot of self-reflection, right? I also did a very deep dive into this whole issue. How so? I I read, I found people that that had been into this way longer than me and picked their brains. I'm still friends with them. We still talk. We still go over stuff. It's really, at the end of the day, you're either a human or you're not, right? You're a people. Dogs know it. You could have a great big dog walking them down the street, and there's a little tiny yipper coming the other way, and they start barking. They're going, hey, 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 I'm a dog. You're a dog. What's going on on your block? We have a lot to learn from that. Yep. So I, I still have these conversations. I took a class that was put on by the Wilmette Institute near Chicago. It was a nine-week class. I took it last fall on anti-black racism. I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm still trying to make a difference. Tell me about that class and your involvement and what you were able to contribute. Well, I was a participant, so I didn't have an agenda. Well, I sort of did. I was thinking that if I took this class, they're going to have the latest ammunition that I could use, that I could rip off and deliver at the appropriate moment. And really what this class was, was it was a history class of how did we get to where we are today? And now that you know this, how do you feel about it? There's no solution given. No, no, no. This was really all about the participants who were largely white learning about how racism began and thrived and continues to thrive in this country and what the white community has done to keep that going and why people collectively had done a lot of horrible things. And I don't want to get into them, but a lot of horrible things. And it still happens. For Here's one teeny tiny example. Lots of people are quick to point out that black children don't do very well in school. Many times, oftentimes, those schools are underfunded. The reason they're underfunded is one of the primary ways that public schools receive funding is through real estate values, right? Okay, now the highest real estate values are going to be owned by white communities and especially the well-off communities. So their schools get all kinds of money. The black communities where there are largely, you know, a lot of underprivileged people, people that have been held back, people that are being held back, and people that are denied opportunities, those real estate prices are not as high. So their schools aren't funded. Now, somebody figured this out. 
and somebody made it the rule, right? This is law. That's wrong. It's just wrong. There's so much injustice in the world that it really pains me sometimes just to talk about it. In this class, did you find that this was knowledge that was well known to most members in this class? To the white people? No. No. It was new stuff. Okay. To the black people in the class, and there were some there were some black people that took the class. Probably half of them were uh, moderators in some way that would assist in the in the teaching of the class. The class had seventy or eighty participants. Wow. And so there'd be a half an hour or so group discussion, always some sort of a video, and then we'd go to breakout rooms. Right. Nice. And there'd be eight yeah. eight, nine people in your breakout room. So you could have a manageable conversation. Right. And no, a lot of the stuff that we covered, no, it's not well known. What motivated you to take this class initially? Well, I heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm retired. And I went, okay. The upside is I, I'm probably gonna learn something and get, like I said, more ammunition. The downside is it's yet another Zoom meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and, We're all kind of sick of those at this point, but. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm really glad I took the class and I will probably take it again. The amount of homework that was offered for you to cover was probably three or four hours a week. Wow. It, it was intense and I didn't that, yeah. always have that three or four hours. So it, it was quite the class. So yeah, it's the anti-black racism class offered by the Wilmette Institute. That is phenomenal. And I do want to ask, has that class shaped you or helped you pivot your day-to-day life or reach more people? Or what have you what have you done with the knowledge that you've learned from that class? I came out of that class knowing I have a superpower. Oh. Tell me okay. more. I have okay. a superpower. I could be a superhero. All white people have it. White people have the loudest voice. It carries the most weight. If you're in a group of white people and you stick up for black people, very rarely do they flip you any shit. They're afraid. Because here's, here's a guy that knows more about this than I know, because clearly he's quoting facts. I don't know any of these facts. You know, white people like to say... It's equal opportunity. And on the surface, yes, it is. It's equal opportunity. But in reality, it's not equal opportunity. It's very unequal opportunity. And if you have facts that can back that up, that's good. I read this book by a guy named Andrew Hacker. He's a professor of psychology, I'm pretty certain, at Queens College in New York City. This book is at least 20 years old. It's probably older than that. Andrew Hacker takes us on a journey through the latest U.S. census. Oh, wow. It's on the surface, it could be incredibly boring, but he discovered some things. Here's the thing. Why is it that the vast majority of dental hygienists are white? So he thought, well, let me find out. So he went to some schools. Do you have any black people go through the hygienist education? Oh, yeah. How do they do? They do well. Well, Why aren't there any hygienists? Fewer than 2%. 
of the hygienists are African-American. Huh. He lets that question hang. The opposite happens in nursing. The black population is overrepresented in nursing, right? Yeah. Underrepresented in dental hygiene. Could it possibly have something to do with it's okay for the nurse to give me medicine, bring me food, and take my temperature, but it's not okay for them to put their hand in your mouth? Is it something like that? I don't know. That feels about, unfortunately, that feels pretty accurate. And so the book, I'm going to mess the title up, but you can find it. But it, it's two nations, separate, unequal, and hostile. He talks about the white club. There's two clubs right now. Really, there's a white club and a black club. And this is Andrew Hacker talking. This is not me talking. This is just ammunition for me. So everybody would rather be in the white club than the black club. The white club has more money. They have more opportunities. They have greater privileges, blah, 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 right? And the black club is just not as healthy. It just People just don't want to go there. So we had a big influx of Iranians during the revolution in the 70s. They could swing both ways. They managed to swing over to the white club. Why is that? Could it possibly be that the world sees it and we don't? It's a possibility. It is a possibility. So you spoke of the class that you were involved in and what you learned. And then you spoke about your superpower. Yeah. And I have to say that feels really good to hear, Bob, because I know that I've been in positions and situations throughout my entire life where, unfortunately, I don't feel like it's right. And it is painful to watch the the people who are lighter skinned or are white have a bigger, more powerful, more driving voice. So I just want to say thank you for noticing that as a position that you can take on and taking that on because I do feel like we do need a voice and we do need a lot more advocates for the black population, the mixed population, the brown population. Yeah. Fundamentally, I do this because I'm selfish. I think, don't we all (laughs) do the things that we love and are passionate about because we're selfish? I love music. I love food. Now, what happens when you meet someone from a different culture? One of the first questions I always ask is, what do you eat? Right? Me too, actually. (laughs) Yes. And if we can become friends, I may get some of this. Mm -hmm. Along the way, I'm going to find out they're a lot like me. They're going to be mothers and fathers with sons and daughters, and they want the best for them. They want a roof over their head. They would like their rent paid. Right? They're just like me. We have fun, we listen to music, and we eat. And Bob, this is why we're friends. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I do a thing. I cook a lot, and especially now that I'm retired, I don't cook in the backyard. This is what most people do. They cook in the backyard. And when you're in the backyard, nobody can see you. So I cook in the driveway. You do. (laughs) I'm cooking in the driveway now. Right by the sidewalk. Yes. You guys, anybody who's listening, I I pulled up to Bob's house today and he's got his smoker in the driveway, which is right, right by the sidewalk. And of course he saw one of his friends and was chatting, which I'm sure you do daily, but that is where you cook. You're right. Yes. Now 
here's something else that works. If I run across anybody who are black and brown, and I say, hey, I'm cooking this Saturday, come on over. They're going to want to come. More than likely, they'll go, yeah, I could do this. If you're a white person walking past the black or brown person's house, it's going to be more qualified. You're going to check the neighborhood, right? You're going to check them out. You're going to look at the condition of their lawn or something. I don't know, but that's one of the superpowers you have. It's one of the reasons I admire you. You wake up in the morning and you've already decided that I want to affect change today. And change doesn't happen overnight. It starts with a whole bunch of little tiny things. A smile. That's little tiny things. <laughs> yes. Right? That is a big deal for me too, Bob. How did you know? <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's true. I feel like we all are in a position that we make a choice what we want to do with the life that we've been given. And it does start small and it can morph into something larger if we keep that momentum going. It is all a choice. And the way that we can impact people with what we have been given is different for everybody. But realizing that and then going with it, it that's when magic happens. And that is why now, Bob, I do have to point out a couple of things about you. You put together a block party, which this year I was finally able to attend. And it was amazing to walk into your neighborhood and see everybody just come together and hang out, eat food, listen to music, kids playing. You are so inclusive. And I feel like you've always had that. And Again, over ever since I started this podcast, it, things have been clicking with me, with you and why you are the way that you are. And I would love to take this opportunity, if you're okay with it, to talk a little bit more about your relationships, primarily your romantic relationships. You spoke of you dated a black woman and you have been married to your beautiful wife for how many years now? 35 to 37 years. It's, okay. It'll be right in there. Okay. So Patty is not white. You are in an interracial marriage, correct? Y yeah. She's one quarter Pakistani. Okay. She's absolutely beautiful. And you have two incredible daughters who are just absolutely wonderful. And now your history and your faith and your marriage, can you share a little bit about that part of Bob? Sure. So this goes all the way back to my first year of college. So I'm 18, right? Okay. Or maybe 19. I think I'm 19. So maybe it's my second year, but thereabouts. You know, I grew up in a little tiny town south of Seattle. There were no black people. I was in college before I even talked to one. Really? Yes. There were no black people. And so I met these guys over ping pong. And they were all twice the size of me because they were all basketball players. And they were yelling at each other, I thought, wrongly. And one of them looks at me, man, he just glares at me because I'd been watching him for 45 minutes. And 
he just sort of glares at me and says, you play? And I go, yeah. He says, you can get on up here then. And so we played and we played hard. And then later on, we went over to their house. They fed me. We listened to music. We danced. And uh, I couldn't really dance. So they helped me out. That's awesome. They helped me work <laughs> on my stuff, right? Nice. And uh, so anyway, I'm a theater major. And, you know, it was about that time that all kinds of stuff was happening. If I hadn't seen somebody in, in two months, people would ask, hey, what are you into now? And somebody was into something. You were always into something. Yes. And I was taking a philosophy class and religion popped up. Now, I was not really religious. I believed in God, but I had never found a religion that didn't think that they were it. Right. This is it. We're it. And if you don't go with us, you're going to hell. And I'm thinking, this can't be right. There's got to be something skewed here. I'm not sure what it is. So anyway, one one afternoon, I, you know, I'm in the dorm and, you know, I see this woman playing the guitar and I'm into music. I just want to listen. So we listen. We start to shoot the breeze. We start to talk. And she tells me she's a Baha'i. What's that? I don't know what that is. What is that? And they said, well, it's really simple. I said, okay, help me out. They say, Abraham was real, right? And I go, yeah. I mean, the proof is there. Buddha, real. Zoroaster, real. Mm -hmm. Christ, real. Moses, real. Muhammad, real. You can't deny that. And she said, and this blew my mind. She says, God has made a promise to all, to everybody that God will not leave us alone. Okay? Okay. Your mother sends you off to kindergarten when you're a kid. Does she drop you off and say, you're on your own now. You graduated from kindergarten. You are good to go. You have everything you need. No. <laughs> no. You go to first grade. And then you go to second grade and third grade, and it keeps going. You keep getting new teachers. And the new teachers don't change anything you've learned. They take what you've learned and they add to it. And that's what she said the Baha'i faith was about. And I said, okay, so who's the new God? She said, no, 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 no. There's only one. There's God. That's it. So the God of Zoroaster, the God of Christ, the God of Muhammad, the God of Buddha, that's the same guy. There's only one. These are the teachers. The newest teacher is Baha'u'llah. Okay? That's the newest teacher. Okay, great. So how does this deal work, right? And she said, well, it's kind of one of the things is um, the oneness of everything. So they're the oneness of God, the oneness of religion, and the oneness of mankind. Which I love. That speaks deeply to me. Yeah. So think about that. There's one God. So the religion that exists is the religion of God. The religion that gets screwed up, people do that. People screw it up. Well, I think it means this. You think it means that. I'm going to start my own thing. And now you have a schism. Mm -hmm. That's So God didn't do that. Jesus came once to one place, right? 
he didn't start Catholicism. Right. He didn't say you all are Protestants. You are absolutely correct. But it came about. So there's one God. There is one religion. That is the religion of God. Now, the Baha'i faith is kind of just in it, the way I view it, because I've done a little bit of research and I, I, I absolutely personally agree. It's more of encapsulating all everything as a whole and creating more of a community amongst all of mankind. Correct? Yes. And there's a fundamental difference, though. What is that? There is no clergy. Yes. Okay. You are obligated to investigate for yourself. Which I love. <laughs> right? Yes. People yes. largely, not always, but largely can read. They can certainly listen. They can talk. They can converse. And they know people that can read if they can't. So it's on you to investigate the truth for yourself and come to your own understanding of what it means to you. And on the surface, you think, wow, this is really disorganized. This is going to create a giant mess. Right. But it hasn't. It hasn't. No, there, there aren't a boatload of Baha'is, but in terms of where they are located, there's only one other major religion that's in as many locations as the Baha'is. And that's Christians. Okay. Baha'is are everywhere. I have to say, when you first shared your faith with me, a little bit about it, the one thing that just really struck my heart deeply, and I probably will start crying a little bit here, because <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't stopped, is the fact that Baha'i faith is all-inclusive yes. of all religion. And if anything, it is encouraging the blending of cultures. And for somebody who is mixed race and has had this internal and sometimes external battle with choosing a race, picking a side, so on and so forth, to know that there is a group of people out there, this faith out there that encourages the blending, the meshing of cultures, this connection, this community, this, this creating and realizing that we truly are all connected just moves me like you wouldn't believe. It feels safe. And I feel like for somebody who is mixed race and has had those battles, safety is not something that I find very easily in this world. So knowing, and I, I don't think I've ever formally thanked you for sharing your faith with me but thank you, <laughs> because it really restores a lot of my faith in humanity, knowing that there are people out there that are not so separated by religion or skin color or culture or anything. There's a, a, a large group of people amongst us that we may not know about who believe that we are all connected. We should share what we believe and lean into the positive to help our community, to help our fellow man live a happier, more fulfilled life. It's beautiful. Yeah, you say, you said it beautifully. And it, it's really true that the Baha'is celebrate diversity. 
Yes. They celebrate it. There's one other thing. Yes. We are a bunch of world-class optimists and idealists. I mean, the world is broken, right? The Baha'is will tell you that they don't just hope that world peace is possible. They don't hope. They will tell you that not only is world peace possible, it's inevitable. Let's think about the United States. The United States, when they got bigger, when they became the North and the South combined, what did we do? We had a war. Yes. What did Europe do? They fought with each other all over the place. And then what did they do? They, they, it failed. It was a good attempt, but they formed the League of Nations. And out of the League of Nations became the United Nations. And then at some point, there was the European Union. So we keep getting bigger in our larger, I guess, social thing, you know, and nobody likes it until they do it. So I want to revisit one thing that I forgot to bring up. Yeah. And that is, if you lean into diversity, you want to go hang with people unlike you because you're going to learn new things. Recently, Asians have come under duress in their day-to-day lives. There is a great hypocrisy here. I just happen to know that the number of Chinese restaurants in America is second only to McDonald's. What? Yeah. McDonald's has how many thousands and thousands in the United States, a bazillion. Yes. There are more Chinese restaurants. No way. Yes. That is, that is a really surprising fact. So for example, I don't think it's fair to complain about winter and complain about the heat of the summer. You can have one. You can't have them both. I agree. (laughs) I also don't think it's fair to Take something from a culture that you love, like Chinese food, but shun the people. I agree. Or take something that you love, like barbecue, and shun the people. I agree. Right? Yes. You've got to embrace diversity, because it'll just simply make your life better. And that starts with food. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that is a, a really surprising statistic, but a really important and impactful perspective also, Bob. I mean, truthfully, I felt the same way with Mexican food. It's, it's everywhere, and, and especially in our community, I hear a lot of racism against that culture, yet we always talk about the best Mexican food, the best taco trucks, the best, and, and they're busy. So I've always felt that and and have recognized that as well, but I had no idea that statistic was as high as it was in regards to Chinese food and McDonald's, yet the racism is very clear, especially in in the last four years. Yeah. I think a lot of it, you know, white people are just scared. White people are scared of black people. I think it's different. It's the unknown. Like what you talked about earlier today in regards to this podcast and control. And I am really proud of you for not only 
not canceling, (laughs) (laughs) but you have spent pretty much your lifetime embracing diversity, realizing and recognizing that you do have a lot more power than than some other people and using it to not only not benefit yourself, but really speak for the underdog. So Bob, thank you for being you. And I appreciate you sharing all that you have about yourself today. Um, I do have one question before we wrap things up. What is the legacy that you would like to leave behind in this world? Well, see, now I'm going to tear up. Well, let me tell you a story. Can I just tell you a story? Sure. My wife and I went out. Our first date was on a Wednesday. The following Tuesday, we decided to get married. Five weeks after that, we were. So we had a lot of ground to cover that first week. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of ground to cover. Now, you've met Patty. Yes. She is sweet. She's lovely. You don't ever want to see her angry. I can see that. Yeah. (laughs) So here we are. One night, we're having dinner, and this is move things are moving along, and I'm feeling that I need to tell her about some of what I'm involved with. So I started talking about my fight, my new fight in trying to eliminate racism and prejudice. And I said, so there could be some people coming over, some of them maybe socially handicapped. But I can tell you for sure, they're all wonderful people. My wife went nuts. She just went crazy. She just kind of reared up and her voice got loud and she became the all-powerful somebody. Really? When she was nine or ten years old, her grandfather, who was full Pakistani, disowned everyone in the family who was not. Wow. Now, that's devastating Yes. for a little girl. Yes, it is. She feels the same way I feel. You want another story? Sure. This is good. So my daughter, my youngest daughter, when she went to college, she wanted to go out of state. And I pleaded with her, just go five miles the other way, and it'll be 15% of the cost. And she didn't want to do it because she was going to know everybody. So I go, okay. Uh Uh-huh. I said, please do me a favor. Make a reasonable effort to get grants and scholarships, stuff that we don't have to pay back. Just make a reasonable effort, please. She said, okay. And she's really private. She's going to be really pissed off at me now. So I go, I sit down, I'm going to watch the golf tournament, and there is a cover letter that she had been using to get these grants and scholarships. Mm -hmm. And I'll paraphrase it badly. She said, I want to get a degree in psychology and a degree in Spanish. And I want to do that to help people. I learned in my house that diversity is a good thing. And a lot of people are afraid of it. I want to fix that. How did that make you feel reading that, Bob? Grateful. Just just really grateful. So getting back, when I die... Man, on my gravestone, I wanted to say something like, he fought and he fought hard. Yes, you you have for a long time and you will continue to do that. And I really appreciate all that you've done and all that you're going to do. 
I appreciate you. I appreciate you just as much. Thanks, Bob. Uh, well, again, thank you so much for your time, all that you've shared, and thank you for being a guest on the show today. You're so welcome. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We want to be here for you, and we can't do what we're doing without your support. Please hit subscribe, and to stay up to date, head on over to mixmovement.com. That's M-I-X-D-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com to stay up to date with news and more. We are The Mixed Movement. See you next time. Are you struggling to understand the complexities of your mixed race identity? Do you feel isolated by the lack of resources available to help you and others around you understand the nuances of being mixed race? Now is the time to take action and schedule your free consultation for my individual coaching course. In our time together, you will gain a deeper understanding of your unique mixed race identity and how to navigate the challenges you face. Here are just a few examples of what I have helped individuals just like you gain from my course. You will learn how to embrace and love every aspect of what makes you unique. You'll learn how to navigate complex social situations with confidence. And I have even helped many of my clients move out of areas where they didn't feel safe because they are mixed race. Don't wait any longer to gain the confidence and understanding that you need to live a more fulfilling life. Message me on Instagram at polished.velvet, on Facebook at Mixed Movement, or feel free to email me directly at coachrachelgo at gmail.com. And that's C-O-A-C-H-R-A-C-H-A-E-L-G-O at gmail.com. Let's make magic happen in your life.